All right, James chapter 2. The passage we are going to read is uh, probably one of the most misused passages in all of the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm going to somehow correct everybody's misunderstanding of it, but the meaning is actually fairly clear. In fact, this passage was, was, has been, through years, so misunderstood that some of you have heard of Martin Luther. He's called the Morning Star of the Reformation. He's, there's good things and bad things about Martin Luther. He's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. It's not all good and it's not all bad. But Martin Luther actually did not put the book of James in the Bible at all because of this, primarily this passage in chapter 2. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage and kind of examine it and see what kind of uh, see what the Lord will teach us. Let's pray together and then we will start reading in James chapter 2 and verse number 14. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity to meet together. Thank you for all the ones that are well enough here uh, to be here today. Thank you for the measure of strength that you've given to them. But Lord, some are, wish to be here and can't be because of illness. And uh, some wish to be here but are traveling. And Lord, we just pray for your blessing upon them. Lord, we think of uh, Miss Judy Pitt's brother-in-law, uh, very sick, Lord. Give him mercy, Lord. I think also of my own cousin, uh, Jill, who is also in need of your, your grace and your, your healing touch. Lord, please help her. We think of Nicole and we think of Kinsley. Uh, both are, are ill right now. Brother McLean, we pray for them. Lord, please have mercy on them and give them a quick recovery, and especially for Mrs. Stewart and uh, the need she has with this, uh, with this virus. Lord, we pray that you would give her uh, mercy and allow her to have a, a swift recovery. And uh, please protect Sharon and Eric and Pastor Stewart also, and just uh, allow this, we pray, in your goodness to pass quickly. And uh, Lord, we just pray for our time together as we look in your word. Lord, there's no ability in us to, to glean and gather spiritual help from these things that we read. Lord, we need the power of your spirit to stir in us and to teach us, even as we read the word and try to explain it and try to understand it. So Lord, would you bless our time together? Would, would you send your spirit to uh, prick hearts and uh, stir among us? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to read James chapter 2, verse number 14, down through the end of the chapter, verse 26. James 2, verse 14, the Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Quite a provocative question, I would say, especially knowing what we understand to be New Testament doctrine that a man is saved and a woman is saved by faith alone in Christ, right? They call it sola fidelis, right? Uh, sola fide, rather, which is only faith, only faith. And in verse 15, the Bible says, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, 
A man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, as we start in this, as you can tell, I don't have to explain. I don't have to. Uh, if you've been if you've been saved any amount of time, been in church, studied the Bible any amount of time, you can tell just reading this superficially. You can tell that there's some problem verses in here. And you know what? Whenever you come across a verse in the Bible that appears problematic with what you believe, it's okay to say, I don't understand this. I don't understand why it says what it says. This doesn't exactly sound like it jives too well with what I understood the Bible to say. Because you remember, the Bible has only one author. And so, even though it has many human authors, there's only one author. And so the Bible, as one book, the one complete revelation of God, has... Uh, has a lot of different things, but they blend together in a kind of uniform kind of way. And uh, what appears to be in, in James 2 difficult verses uh, are actually very, very good verses for us to remember if we understand them correctly and in context. But it is important for you and for me to understand that these verses are the go-to verses for all kinds of cults and false religion. These are the go-to verses. Because these verses appear to teach that you not only have to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved from sin, but you also must do good works. Does it, did, when, it, when you've read this, have any of you ever seen, thought that, that that's what this kind of sounds like? Can I give me a little nod, a little nod, a little sheepish nod? That's what it sounds like on its face, right? Uh, one time when I was in uh, California um, with my family, we were traveling to churches in California, and we were staying at a house that, had, that would belong to a missionary. He was on the field, but he, he, allowed, he, he opened his house, his home, to allow other people to stay there, missionaries and such, traveling through. And so we were staying there, and when we were staying there, uh, this, uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses came through the neighborhood, and they were knocking on doors and and uh, handing out their literature, and I was actually unpacking our van, because at that time we had this enormous van, uh, and so I was unpacking it, and uh, so they came up, and I saw them out of the corner of my eye, and I knew immediately who they were. 
And so they came up to me, and, and the, the back of the van, it had information about, about a church on the back. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that they still came, came up and talked to us, or talked to me, rather. My family was in the house. And so she came up, and of all things, assuming she saw the verses on the back of the van, and uh, assuming that, you know, I assumed that she had seen the verses and thought that I was a, a religious person, all right? So she came up to me and she said, do you mind if I share a verse of Scripture with you? And I said, well, sure. And so of all places in the Bible, she turned to John 3.16. John 3.16. And I thought, and as she, was, as she was talking about it and talking about it, she was turning to John 3.16. She actually opened her New World Translation and she read John 3.16, which surprisingly was very similar to what our Bible says. And so she read it, and I thought to myself, as she was reading it, is she really reading John 3.16 to me? Because John 3.16 does not teach what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. So she read it, and I was naughty, and I, I looked at the lady, and I said, so now hold on. She finished reading the verse, and I said, so hold on. According to what you just read to me, it's, it sounds like what this verse is saying, that all I have to do, if I want to be saved and have everlasting life, all that I have to do is believe on Jesus. That this, that's what this verse says. Now, that's not what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. But that's what the verse said, so I just went with it. And she said... She, got, she kind of started to stutter a little bit. Well, she said, well, 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 not exactly, not exactly. She started flipping through her Bible like this. She started flipping to the back of the Bible. And as soon as I saw her flipping to the Bible, I said, you don't need to turn there. You're going to James chapter 2, and you're going to tell me how that faith without works is dead. And it was funny because she flipped and she went like this. She stopped. She's like, you got me. Because that's what they always do. Because they believe that James chapter 2 teaches that in addition to faith, you can insert anything you want that's a work. And so it becomes Jesus, believing in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, believing in Jesus. But the real main thing is that you do all the works we tell you to do. And so the way they use it, is they say, yeah, you, get, you need to believe in Christ, but you also have to be a member of a church, not just any church, but you got to remember our, only our church. And you have to keep good works. You have to get baptized. You have to give your tithes, and you have to help your neighbor, and you have to obey, and I'm not joking here, you have to obey all the commandments that we say without fail until you die. You see, they took that faith without works is dead, and where it says works... They use that as a pretext to insert every single thing that they want to they want people to do. And they use it kind of to imprison people. And so it and so it to them, this these verses teach that a that the you not you, you're saved not only by believing in Christ, but by doing all the commandments that they dictate. The problem is this. Understanding those verses in that way, besides the fact that this is not what the verses teach, it also causes someone to trust in the works. So doing the works, contrary to what these, this passage says, doing the works, they actually come to 
have faith in the works rather than faith in God. Whereas what this passage teaches is that the works, the good deeds, the, the following through in the life is the outworking of that faith. It is not put in, in addition to faith. It is the outworking, the natural outworking of faith. There is nothing, listen, I'll say this now, we'll get into the verses. There is nothing that is to be added to the gospel that we trust in to be saved. It is not we believe in Christ and whatever a religion dictates we must do in addition to complete that process. Jesus did not come to give us a head start. He came to be the Savior. That is the one who saves. He did, not say, he, he did not say He would save us if we did all of these good works. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Faith, faith is the only requirement. The problem is, as I said, is when you, when you look at this and you say, well, see, you've got to have faith and works, and you misunderstand this passage, now you have a Bible text. Now these... False religions have a Bible text that they can use to insert everything else they want to add to the gospel, which is a perversion of the gospel. It is no longer the gospel. So we're going to see why that's the case. Verse 14, the Bible says, What doth it profit, my brethren? Now watch these words. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith Save him? It would be great. Listen, if, if, if the Bible was nothing but a bunch of little sayings that we could, you know, like these inspirational books you see, just, just bullet points of sayings, we could maybe lift out this one phrase, can faith save him? We could lift that out and we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Faith's not enough. That's what the, we can make that verse mean. But that verse doesn't occur as in an island. There's a lot of things around it. We call it that the, the what? The context that throws light on what this verse is talking about. Though a man, notice the word, say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Now look down at verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say, notice the word, say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. You see the words? The key word here in these, in these verses, in this passage, and something you must understand is the use of words. Let me ask you a question. Can any of you see my faith? Can any of you see my faith? Can, can you see your own faith for that matter? No. Faith is an intangible. Faith is, is, a, is, a, is a concept. It's true. But it's a concept. It's not something that, that, that's concrete that you can touch and feel. So you really, in, in, in reality, none of you know if I believe, right? None of you can see that. There's no, there's, there's no way for you to see it. There's no mark or any outs, outward way you can see it. Now, I can claim I have faith. I can claim I have faith. And that's just words. It's just words. But to claim you have faith without, without any outward manifestation of your faith is just vain words. And that's what this verse is saying. Look at verse 18 real quick. 
Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. He says, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Now let me ask you a question. Can you show your faith without your works, without your life, without what you do? That's what we're talking about with works. The choices you make, the life you live, the, the, what, how, how you conduct yourself. Can you show your faith without that? There's only one way you can show your faith without that, and that's with your words. You can tell, and you can get red in the face and have your, your veins on your neck pop out. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But that's just words. And, the, and however emphatic you or I might speak does not make the faith true or real. The proof is in the works. You see, it's not works. Uh, the faith and the works are not detached like the, like the cults teach. They teach you, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but then we have, all, we have this, this dump truck load of other things you have to do that are detached. That's not the, work, the works being referred to here. The works being referred to here are connected to the faith, and you're going to see it in just a minute. In other words, they are the outworking of the faith. What the faith produces in our life. Produces in our life. Now, verse 15 and verse 16 talk about, uh, it's, it's an illustration about a person who is naked, a brother or a sister. This would be somebody in the church who's naked and destitute of daily food. This is a, an impoverished person. So these verses are not really trying, to, trying to, to describe the way we should treat the poor in our church, although it has application there. But it's really an illustration for faith. Notice what it says in verse 16. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Those words are nice. Those words are wonderful. They, what, what, what's happening here is this person is, is we're, we're blessing them. We're wishing them well. The words sound nice. But it says in verse number 16 at the end, Notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? In other words, the words don't mean anything. They're useless. They're vain. And the, the comparison is this. If we say that we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we say that we believe and trust that Jesus bore our sins on the cross, that God loved us enough to send His Son, and if we say that Jesus died for us and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. If we say we believed in him unto eternal and everlasting life. If we say that, but our works do not are, are not complementary to that and and our works are not are not visible to others, then our words are vain. Our words, our confession, our profession of faith is vain. It's a, good, it's a good place to stop and examine your faith. Now, I say that I believe in Jesus Christ. I say that He has changed my life. I say that He is the Lord of my life. But do my works, that is, that thing that I say, that I say I believe, does that prompt me to actually live that way? Or is it just works? I mean, j just faith. 
very pointedly, God says, what doth it profit? Those are vain words. Look at verse 18 once again. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Notice what it says. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In, you have two men here, right? You have two people having a conversation about faith. Which of these two men has faith? Which of these two men says they have faith? Look at it. Which of these two men says they have faith? They both say they have faith. But one says he has faith and has nothing to show for it. He don't live it. There's no outworking of the faith in his life at all. It's just words. And another one need not explain with his lips the faith that he has because his life demonstrates that faith. The Lord says the second man's faith is real. The second man's faith is real. What we're talking about is the role of works in a Christian's life. The role of works in a Christian's life. They both said they had faith. But the real question here, as we'll see in a minute, is whether this faith is visible to others. Verse 17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Again, we see this repeated over and over. You see you have faith and you have works and they must be together. Must, they must be together. Now let's move on to verse 19. The Bible says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. What a pointed verse. I have a question. Is your faith any better than the devil's faith? These devils, you think of, uh, I, there's a verse in, um, in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 24. In fact, hold your place here and uh, hold your hand here and, and go back to Mark chapter 1 real quick. I want to read this to you. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. says this, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, now this is what the devil is saying, let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. What is this devil doing? It is professing to know who Jesus is. It knew and believed who Jesus is. It had more faith than many humans. 
who deny who Jesus is and say and 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 deny that that Jesus is the Son of God or God come in the flesh, the Holy One of God. See, humans deny that. The devil didn't. The devil acknowledged it. But listen to this. The devil acknowledged that he believed who Jesus was. While at the same time, his whole existence was in outright rebellion against Jesus. The devil knew Jesus was the Lord of all. But at the same time, its actions were outright rebellious to his lordship. And so we go back to James. And it says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Okay, so we say we believe in Christ, but our life is lived out just just outright in rebellion to Him. We disregard what He says. We say He is the Lord. We believe. I've heard people say with my own ears. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Because if you believe that, that faith should have works showing it. There should be some submission to His Lordship, right? And if there's not, what does that say about the faith? That's what, that's what chapter 2 is really talking about. Look, hold your place here, and look at verse number 17. Listen to this. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. All right, look at verse number 20. But with all know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? Dead. Verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the quality of faith. We're talking about whether faith is real or whether it's dead. Whether it's real or whether it's just words. We're not talking about the... This is, listen, the only way that you can believe that this, that James chapter 2 is talking about all the other things you have to do to save yourself in addition to believing in Christ is if you come at this verse because your religion teaches it. But when you look at this, what chapter 2 is actually referring to is actually examining faith. Is this faith real or is it fake? Is this faith alive or is it dead? And so when we see verse, for instance, when we see verse 14 at the end, can faith save him? Let me ask you a question. Faith without the works that go along with it and demonstrate it to others, can that faith, the Bible calls that dead faith. Look at it, verse 17. Faith, if it hath not works. That's what you call a parenthetical statement. So take it out. Faith is dead. So we're talking about what kind of faith do you have? What is the quality of your faith? Is it real faith, living faith, or is it dead faith? Can dead faith save you? Verse 14. Look what it says. Can faith save him? Can that kind of faith, the dead faith that has no application to the life at all, can it save you? We're talking about what kind of faith we have, whether it's real 
or not. This should give us pause. And then in verse number 19, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. Well, how many of you have ever heard? Some of you might have even have said it. Well, I believe in God. So, the devil believes in God and lives in outright rebellion to him. That kind of faith is dead. It can't save you. Because it has no life that comes out in what you, what you do. So I ask again, and this is, a, this is a very pointed question. Examine your faith. That's what the point of this is. Is your faith better than the devil's faith? Has it manifested itself in your life? Or is it just merely words, a profession? Sounds good. Be ye warmed and filled, but you don't give them those things that are needful to the body. It's just words. It doesn't bubble up into the life. This should give us reason to pause and examine our faith. And especially, listen, especially here, everybody's saved. My, my daughter and I, my wife and my wife and I went and picked up my daughter at work yesterday, last night, and she was telling us about one of the one of her coworkers at Belk. And this girl is uh, a Mormon. Well, she says she's a Mormon, but she says she's a good person, and, and all these things. And she has the filthiest mouth of everyone there. She's she's self admittedly selfish. She says that herself. Uh, it's, it's obvious what her priorities are, priorities are. Listen, that kind of faith is just words because it doesn't affect the life at all. There's no works coupling it. Just like the example here. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a dead body. It's like a dead body. There's no spirit. There's no living thing that animates it. There's no outward manifestation of it. It's just, it's just a body. That kind of faith is fake faith. It's dead faith, and it can't save you, and it can't save me. Gives us reason to examine what kind of faith do I have? Do I have real faith? This isn't hard. This isn't some secret knowledge or anything like that. We're just talking about real faith. We're talking about the kind of faith that you talk about and the kind of faith that, that comes out in your life. And, and you know what? People out there in the world, I've heard it. I've heard it with my own ears. People say it to me. Well, that person, they say, you know, I've had my cousin say it. Well, I, I know, I know my, some of my friends, they say they're Christians and all this, but you know, I, I know how they live. Why is it their faith coming out in their life? That's all I'm saying. Why isn't it coming out? That's what the Bible's teaching. What kind of faith is that? You know, his thing with COVID. <clears throat> if you ask 10 people their opinion on all the information, the information overload that people are getting from COVID, 10 people are going to have 10 different opinions as to how much of it is believable. Some people will believe everything 
that they, they read on the news. And some people don't believe any of it. And, of course, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what is, what is true and what's not because I don't know. But I, I will give you an, one little anecdote from my own life. As you know, my mom and my, at the same time as my aunt was, and my aunt Stacy was sick, my mom and my grandmother were both sick with what apparently was probably the Delta variant because my grandmother had been vaccinated. My mom had not. And she still got sick. So I assume that to be the Delta variant that it's so famous. I don't know. I know that months ago when we first came back to Cambodia around the summer of last year, I got sick. Not very sick, but I did get sick, and I lost my sense of smell for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was over in a few days, didn't go to the doctor or anything, didn't get tested. It was that insignificant to me, for me. But I had all the telltale signs. But, uh, you know, with all the, all the curiosity about it, especially back then, not so much now, but especially back then, everybody's, you know, you, you know I was curious. So I went down to a lab in Greenville, and I got a COVID antibody test to see if I had the antibodies for COVID and see if I had had it. And the test was positive. So I assumed that to mean that I had had COVID and had some measure of immunity to it. That's what I was taught in school, right? <laughs> but when my mom, so fast forward months later, when my mom and my grandmother, my aunt, were sick, uh, there's three of us siblings that were taking care of them, and myself, my, my sister Brittany, and my other sister Chelsea, but Chelsea had not ever had COVID. My sister Brittany had. So Chelsea didn't want to get too close because, you know, she had not been sick, and she didn't want to risk that, and so we understood that. And My other sister had had COVID, so she, she and I are the ones that took care of them. So that meant we went into their house, and, you know, they were very sick, uh, could barely walk, we had to, you know, they had to go to the hospital three different occasions. Um, so we were going in their house. We were checking their temperature and oxygen, and we were uh, making food. And, and there were times that we, we had, to, had to help them up. You know, they were right in our face. I wasn't wearing a mask. And we were, they were right in our face and going, you know, going, walking them down to the car. And now went to the hospital. I mean, I was, I was, I was all around it. You know, and they say it's so communicable. But you know what I did? So we're talking about faith now. So follow me. So my understanding was I had had COVID already. I had the antibodies. And so I would be okay. I probably almost surely would not get sick again. I assume that, which is one reason I was so willing to go over there to begin with, right? So... So I would help them at their house and stuff, and I'd get in my car. And I had hand sanitizer in my car. You know what I'd do? I would take the hand sanitizer, and I'd rub my hands up my arms. I'd rub my phone with it and rub it on my face. Why? I believed, follow me now, I believed I couldn't get sick or most likely would not get sick because of, you know, immunity. But when I got to the car, my works betrayed my faith, didn't they? It showed that, it showed that my faith in that test, that antibody test, and its effectiveness and immunity was not exactly 
I wasn't, the works and the faith did not exactly line up. There was a, a disconnect. Because what did my works show? My works were consistent with someone that didn't believe that. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is not to make a statement about whether you should wear a mask or use hand sanitizer. I don't care what you do. You do what you need to do. But the point I'm trying to make is, even in this whole COVID thing, there's some people that at the beginning thought, oh, there's nothing to it. And they ended up being some of the most, some of the most careful people and, and cautious people there were. And then some people uh, got vaccinated and, and uh, they started living normal again. And then there's other people that got vaccinated and, and they're, they're, you know, they're, they're still being really careful. So if you follow the faith, what you believe doesn't always connect with what you do. And for me, that was the case. I believed that I would be okay, but in reality, when, I, when it got down to putting the hand sanitizer, I just couldn't leave without putting it on. So my faith was not backed up by works. If I really believed it with all my heart, I wouldn't bother with the hand sanitizer. Why would I? But see, what did that say about my faith? Now let's bring this into faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ is not something we do as a trial. When we trust in Christ to take our sin away, to forgive us, when we trust in His blood that it was shed for us and is sufficient to take our sin away, it is not something we do as a trial. Leaving a little bit of reserve to trust in something else. Faith in Christ is 100%. And when you have 100% faith, it, it causes things in your life. That faith produces works. Now look at Abraham. We're almost finished. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now that's just a troubling sounding verse. Justified by works? I thought the Bible teaches a person is made righteous counted righteous in God's sight by faith in Christ. But this says justified by works. But again, we're not talking about faith. We're not talking about the way God sees you. We're talking about being justified in the sight of men. Whether what you say you believe and what you show to believe is the same. What's your faith like? The Bible says Abraham was justified by works when he had offered his son Isaac upon the altar. Now follow the verses. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now, what did God promise Abraham that he believed? in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Anybody remember? We just went through that in Genesis with Pastor Stewart. Well, just went like a year ago. (laughs) He promised him, he took him outside at night and he told him, look up at the stars, he says, count all the stars. If you can number them, so shall thy seed be. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 6, the Bible says, and Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham went outside Isaac hasn't been born. Ishmael's not been born. Abraham's just, he, just, just him and Sarah. And even though he has no children, he's too old to have children, God takes him outside and look at the stars. Your seed will be like the stars of heaven. And in that moment, 
The Bible says, at that moment, Abraham looked up there, and in his heart, he heard the promise of God, and his heart responded in faith. He believed it 100% fully persuaded kind of faith, real faith. And God saw that faith at that instant, and God said, you're not a righteous man, you're a sinner, but I'm going to count your faith as righteousness to you, right? That happened years before Isaac was born. That happened years before the event in Genesis 22 when Isaac would be sacrificed. So what is this talking about? Verse 23. Notice the key word. And the scripture was fulfilled. So Abraham, in chapter 15, Abraham believed what the Lord's promise was and God counted it to him for righteousness. And then later, years later, in chapter 22, God says, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering in the place that I will show thee. Years later, Abraham believed God and God saw his faith and he was made right, righteous in God's sight in chapter 15. But that's just faith in his heart. That's what God sees. Fast forward to chapter 22. God says, take your son and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Slay him as a sacrifice. And what did Abraham do? The faith that he had back then about God being able to give, make his seed of the stars of heaven came out where we could see it. Right? It came out. Because the same faith he had then manifested itself, the same promise, the same faith. And so he took Isaac, just like before, when God made the promise, Abraham had no children. He had no way to have children. Sarah was barren. Now he has a child, the promised child, and God is requiring him to be sacrificed. Abraham did not believe that sacrificing Isaac would, would make him righteous. He was just trying to obey the Lord. But the same faith was, came out to fruition visibly so that we could see it because that same faith, Abraham said, I don't understand it, but I know that if God allows me to sacrifice my son, he will still make my seed as the stars of heaven. And to the degree that he, he believed that, that God would raise up Isaac, the Bible says in Hebrews, he believed that God would raise up Isaac from the dead. And there you have the works of Abraham coupled with his faith. In chapter 15, he was made righteous in the sight of God. In chapter 22, with Isaac, we see his faith. He's shown to be righteous to us. He's shown to be a man of faith. So let me ask you a question. In chapter 15, what kind of faith did Abraham have? Was it a dead faith or a real faith? It was a real faith. How do you know? Because of chapter 22. Verse 24. In that context, we read verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So this is not referring to how you get saved. This is referring to the quality of your faith. And whether your, whether your works demonstrate your faith. Now in closing, 
Religion always tells us to believe in Christ and do this and that. But that's not what this verse is saying. This passage is, is, is requiring us to examine our faith, to see what kind of faith it is, whether it's a real and genuine faith that is evidenced by the works that follow, or whether it's just a fake faith that's nothing but vain words like the devil, like his faith. So I just want to ask you, do you what kind of what's the nature of your faith? If you have the faith that is commonly held by everyone around here, there's a big problem. Because 95% of the people around us, this is my hometown, 95% of the people around us have just a, a superficial kind of faith. Not the kind that actually comes out in the life at all. It's just words. But the kind of faith that we see with Abraham, the kind of faith that's described here is a real living faith that affects the life. That will change and affect the decisions that we make. So what kind of faith do we have? Let's pray.